You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Today we're in Acts 27, and you'll see on the screen it says, Trusting God. Trusting God is what I've entitled the message for today. Uh, You'll see that there are 44 verses. It's a lot of ground to cover, but I think we'll do it relatively quickly. Um, This is a heavy narrative passage, um, and so I'm just going to read through the verses, and we'll talk about them as we go. I'll give you some applicable points at the end, kind of like I did two weeks ago with that other narrative passage. Um, And then, uh, just so you're aware, after next week, we are going back into the book of Psalms, We're going to spend summer in the Psalms, carry us through Labor Day weekend. Uh, We did this last year. Uh, And so just so you're aware, uh, we will be going through Psalms that we did not cover last year. So uh, it's going to be some fresh um, passages we're going to look at, and it's going to be a good time together. Um, I remember back in uh, 2020, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes 2020 seems like it was years ago. Uh, Sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. Uh, But right at the beginning of COVID and all the things that were happening there, um, there was a lot of of people that were just like, what is going on? Like so many questions, so many worries, so many fears. And in the middle of that, myself, I I had a, many of you remember, I had a, a big esophagus issue that was going on that required surgery. And from March until September, um, I was pretty much malnourished. I couldn't keep anything down. I was very sick, uh, lost a ton of weight. That's the one thing I do miss about that time period. Um, But it was just a very rough season. And as I was going through that season, um, there were those times of trying to think through with our leadership team here, what do we need to do for the church to follow these guidelines, to do what we need to do? And then in the middle of all of that, I'm still sitting there and I'm wrestling with this illness and all that's going on with that and many procedures leading up to the surgery. And there were some days that I was just like, God, what are you doing? What is happening? Why? I'm just being frank with you. There was times where I was like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? And I was constantly reminded from the Lord through the scriptures, but also through brothers and sisters in Christ, that the Lord is good. The Lord is faithful And we must remember to continually trust him. And I ask you this morning, as we're getting ready to uh, dive into the scriptures and engage the word of God, uh, where, where are you? Are you in the middle of a season like that right now? Maybe you've just come out of a season like that. And if we're frank, we understand that most of us are probably gonna have seasons like that to come still until we see Jesus face to face. So as I said, we're, we're gonna be covering the entirety of the chapter today. Uh, I wanna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump right in. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the time that we get to have to set aside to glorify you through the reading and proclaiming of it. Father, I pray over this time and I ask, Lord, that the meditations in my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing unto you and that you'd have your way. Lord, that you be glorified. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as God's people, we must live a life of worship to him, trusting in his sovereign ways. So uh, let's look together at chapter 27. I'm gonna read verses one through eight uh, as we go through this, starting out. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. 
And embarking in a ship of Adronium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Erechus, excuse me, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And when the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off of Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So most of this passage, as I said, it is a narrative by Luke. He is describing what all took place during this journey at sea. And we see them go to and from ship to ship and port to port. We see there in verse 3 how the centurion Julius, he, he's treated Paul kindly and he's letting him be with his friends. He's, he's being encouraged and cared for. I mean, that's really rare in and of itself, right? I mean, Paul is a prisoner at this point here. And yet through God's provision, he is given the time to be cared for. Now, the centurion Julius, he, he eventually finds this ship of Alexandria that was sailing for Italy, and Paul and his commandants, they all get on board, and they start to sail slowly to a different location while the voyage was getting more and more difficult, okay? That, that's one thing we have to continually remind ourselves through this passage. It is getting more and more difficult. Look at verse 9. When we get to verse 9, it says, since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Let's pause there for a moment. We see the journey is dangerous. Now notice that Luke states that the fast was over. It's for the day of atonement. If you recall back from our study of Leviticus, another book of the Bible that we went through, we talked about the day of atonement. It's the day where the high priest would go in to atone for the sins of the people. And here we see that the fast has just been completed. They spent time fasting during that period. This all happens while they're there in fair havens. Look at verse 10. Saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Here in verse 10, Paul makes this notion in them. He speaks up and he's letting them know, hey, you know, you guys, this, I'm perceiving this is going to go bad for us if we continue. Let's hold off. Let's take a break. But as we see in verses 11 and 12, the centurion paid no more attention to the pilot, paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So Julius doesn't really care. Now, he gives Paul that notion back in verse 3, right? He gets to be with his companions and be cared for, but Paul cannot be listened to here in this moment. Right? He, he's saying, guys, I'm telling you, I perceive there's, there's an issue here. I really don't think we should do this. 
He wants to hear more about what the pilot and the sailors have to say about it, the owner of the ship. He wants to know, hey, what do you guys think? Now, to be fair there to the centurion for a moment, I mean, if you've got a prisoner standing before you and people that know what they're doing on the water, who are you going to listen to, right? You're probably going to listen more to the ones that are used to being on the water. Now, for us on this side of seeing everything that took place in the scriptures, we know that Paul is a a very resourceful person. We also know that Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit of God and Paul saw something that was potentially coming. Let's look together at 13 through 20. Again, this is narrative, so I'm I'm reading it together. We're going to get some points in a moment. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulties to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run around on Desertus, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. We see here how tough this storm is, this northeaster was on the boat. Can you picture yourself there in that moment as the storm is raging on them? It's got to be terrifying for them. I mean, we see that this is all taking place. It's going back and forth. And we get there to verse 20 and all of our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. It's this sense of hopelessness. Now we're looking at this case here of a, of a, a ship and the, the, all that's happening there and the sense of hopelessness. But let me ask you, you, you may not have been on a boat and, and had something like this happen, but maybe what you're going through or where you've been before, are you in a place or have you been in a place where you were just battling something and it just seemed like all was hopeless? You didn't know what was gonna happen next. You assumed that things were just gonna get more rough. Your hope of getting out of the situation has been abandoned. Like, there's no hope at all. Let's continue, 21 through 22. And they, oops, wrong place, (laughs) 21 to 22. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. You know, this time has passed with no food coming off of the fast. They're hungry, they're tired, they're spent from the journey. And Paul stands up to speak to them. And you notice in this moment, it's kind of like this, hey, I told you so from Paul. You you chose to listen to the boat guy. I could see why, but I told you there was going to be problems here. But take heart, take heart, everything's gonna be okay. 
you imagine being the people there listening to Paul in this moment? Like, how can you say everything's going to be okay? Like, do you not see where we're at? Do you not see what's going on? Look at the profound words of Paul in 23 through 26. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and before God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in the God, in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. This angel of God comes to Paul and he tells him, hey, remember what God told you. Remember, you will go before Caesar. What's the reminder about? Well, it comes back from our study of Acts 23 a few months ago. Acts 23, 11 says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must testify also in Rome. At that point in the passage, Paul had already testified before the council. They didn't want to hear it. They sent him back to the barracks and he's there waiting and waiting in the barracks and here the Lord stood by him as Luke writes. And the Lord reminded him, hey, hold fast, take heart. I'm with you. You've done this here in Jerusalem. You will do this in Rome. And as Paul is recounting this to the people, he's there with them on the ship, he's quick to point out that they must take heart, not being fearful, because God will do as he always has. God is with Paul. God will protect Paul and those that are with him. God keeps his word, period. He always keeps his word. You must trust him. 27 through 29, read. When the 14th night had come as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I bet they did, right? <laughs> They've got these things where we're reading and they're at day 14. Day 14 of no food. You imagine going 14 hours without food? <laughs> Some of us, that'd be hard, right? I get hangry. Miranda will tell you. I think we can all say we get hangry at different times. 14 days of no food. They sense that the land is near, so they send out this sounding. And we see that it says 20 fathoms and it says 15 fathoms. At first, when they're doing this, they, they realize that they're about 120 feet from a, a, a place of shore. And then they do it again and they're about 90 feet. So they're, they're coming up on it. So they realize, you know what? Let's just wait here and let's pray for day to come. They wanted the light there so they could see what was next along their way. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been out on the water in the evening or maybe you've been camping and you're out there at night, it's a lot easier to see things in the day, is it not? You can see what's coming. You know what's around the bend. At night, it's very difficult. Verse 30 tells us, 
And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. It shows us that the sailors, they had enough. They wanted out. So they're planning their way to abandon the ship. And then Paul speaks up to the centurion and he says in 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Morning is coming. And in that morning coming, the day is about to dawn. And Paul's telling him, guys, if they leave the ship, we're done for. We're done for. We don't see in the text where God told him, hey, you have to keep them all here in, in that context, these, these guys that are the, the sailors. But we do know that they had to consider these are skilled sailors. If they abandon the boat and you've got many people that are left on the boat that don't know what they're doing, you're in a world of hurt. But Paul's telling him, like, but God's also told me that we will be safe. I just told you that. There's no sense in leaving. God has us. Trust me as I trust him. And then when we get to 32, we see the soldiers cut away the ropes in the ship's boat and let it go. So there they are. Everybody is left aboard. So here we are, and we see in just a few moments, 276 people sitting on the boat, waiting, wondering what's coming next. Verse 33 and following, as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food and saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. For it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from your head of any of you. Paul reminding them again. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Here it is. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Paul reminds them, guys, we haven't eaten. You've got to eat. You've got to be strengthened. God is not going to let anything happen to you. Not a hair on your head is going to perish. Eat. Don't worry about this right now. Strengthen yourself. Be strengthened by what you're going to partake of. And then we see that he breaks the bread and he gives thanks to God. Now you got to think, any believers that are there on board, this is a reminder to them, the, the imagery there of the breaking of the bread and giving thanks. It sounds like the Lord's Supper, right? We don't see where he's leading them in the Lord's Supper here. There are non-believers that are present. But it's just this reminder even for those believers and Paul breaks the bread and he gives thanks. And just that simple image there of breaking the bread that he's about to give to the people and giving thanks to God. You have to imagine those people that are sitting there that know nothing of this God whom Paul serves. They're sitting there and they're taking this all in. They're like, man, this guy is recounting all this stuff about this God whom he serves and says that we need to trust. And this is about the only person on this boat right now that is sane, it seems like. Like they are intent, they're determined. Nothing is going to happen. We're gonna be fine. Meanwhile, all of us are pulling our hair out because we are scared to death. And yet this guy is content that everything's gonna be fine. And now he's giving thanks to God for this food? Who is this guy? What is this God that he serves? Verse 39 to 44, we read of the shipwreck. 
Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on it, which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time, loosening the ropes and tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail with the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest they should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept from them from carrying out their plans. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on the planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So here we see the day has broken. They see this beach up ahead of them. They're like, there it is. Let's make way for that. Get everything ready. And we're going full steam ahead. And they begin to go. And without seeing it, they hit this reef. Shipwreck. Boat is stuck. It's going nowhere. It begins to break. And there in that moment, the soldiers, they're traditional Roman soldiers. So they are accustomed of making sure that they keep their eyes on the prisoners. They make sure that the prisoners fall in line. They see, wait a minute, these prisoners are probably about to jump overboard and they're going to try to get away and they're going to escape. We're going to kill them all. We're going to kill them all and do what we need to do to maintain the order that we have been instructed to maintain. So they have this plan, they're going to do it, but the centurion says, no, 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 not so fast, my friend, no, no, no. They need to be safe. In a way, you can look at it and say, well, he's seen, hey, Paul's been right about things so far. We need to keep this man safe. I have a task to get him to Rome. We're going to get him to Rome. So they don't move forward with their plan, and instead, the centurion tells them, hey, if you guys can swim, go ahead and jump and swim to the beach. Go ahead, make way. But if you can't, obviously this boat is falling apart around us. Grab pieces of the planks or boat and hold on to it and we will eventually get you to shore. And then we see a promise of God fulfilled. 44, the rest of the planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. All 276 of them brought safely to land. Paul was told by God, an angel of the Lord comes to Paul and says, you're going to be okay. Everyone with you will be okay. You're going to make it through this. And right at the most pivotal, scary point, the boat is falling apart. They get to the seashore and everybody is okay. Powerful what we see here in this passage. Now, that was the entirety of the chapter that we just read through and reading through that and and wrestling with it and wondering, I, I kept being drawn back to verses 23 through 25. And this is where we're gonna get our points out of today. I want to read this again to you. It says, when the angel of God comes to Paul, for this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has rendered you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. Here's the first point you can write down. 
We were bought for a price. We were bought for a price. If if you break apart Paul's verse there in 23, we see some interesting things. He stated in 23 that the angel was from God whom he belonged. The word belong is very important for us to see there. Kent Hughes, who is a biblical scholar that uh, has really great commentaries that uh, Walter and I both reference with, when we're planning out our series and all of these things, he, he gives some examples of some ways in which there's belonging on this side of heaven here on earth. And I thought they were very profound, so I want to share them with you. He says, we are Christ's bride and he is the bridegroom. We belong to him as Christians. Just like a husband and wife belong to one another, we belong to Christ. The the marriage is this example of Christ and his church that is lived out here on earth for the world to see. A husband belongs to his wife. A wife belongs to her husband. We, as the church, we belong to Christ. Why? Because we were bought for the price. We are sheep to the great shepherd. We are sheep to the great shepherd. The Lord Jesus loves us so much that he does so by giving his life for the sheep. The the famous psalm that we read, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And David gives this beautiful example of how we are the sheep of his pasture and the way in which the great shepherd shepherds us and cares for us. He does so because we belong to him. I mean, Jesus, even in the Gospels, he's giving this example, the parable of the lost sheep. And he tells that the the shepherd cares so much about the sheep where if he has 100 sheep and one runs off, he will leave the 99 here to go and find the one to care for it and bring it back into the fold. We belong to Christ. We also see an example We are like children who belong to their father. We're like children who belong to our father. God is our heavenly father. There is no other man on this earth who can claim to be the daddy of Adeline and Noah Eyre except Brian Eyre. No other. I am the one whom God has called to be their daddy. They belong to me. And I love them and I care for them. We belong to our heavenly father because we were bought for a price. All of these are great examples. But as I said, continually each time we were bought for a price. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul tells us that we were bought with a price. The price was the precious blood of King Jesus that was poured out from Calvary's cross with us on his mind. We're bought by the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to him. I want to point that out to you. No matter where you're at, what you're going through right now, remember that you were bought by the precious blood of Jesus being poured out on Calvary's cross. Don't forget that. You are valuable in the eyes of our Father. And because of that, because we belong to him, therefore, we are his people. And if we are his people, number two, God never abandons his people. 
God never abandons his people. In the middle of the raging storms and chaos, Paul has confidence. He has confidence that all would be okay because he knew that God was with him. He knew that God would never abandon him. He knew that God is who he says he is. God promised me this. God will preserve my life. And guess what? Every one of you on board with me, he's preserving your life too. He never abandons his people. Jesus promised this before he went up to heaven in the Great Commission. He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So let me ask you this, Christian, listen to me. Whatever trial or part of the journey you're going through right now, trust me, the Lord is with you. He is with you and he will never forsake you. He will never say, ah, I'm tired of hearing your prayers. Ah, I'm tired of you not listening to me. Does he discipline when we're sinful? Yes. But not so much to the point where he says, I'm done with you, get away from me. No, he cares for us. He never leaves us or abandons us. And if that is true, if we were bought with a price and God promises to never abandon us, then we have to do something. We must, number three, live a life of worship. Live a life of worship. Now let's address the elephant in the room. I'm not talking just about worship singing. We worship the Lord as we gather together to sing, to pray, to sit under the teaching of the word of God, but we also worship the Lord through our service to him in the way in which we are on mission for him. You hear us say it all the time, to be on mission, to live our lives proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. That was Paul's heartbeat. That was the way in which Paul lived his life. Paul knew I was a sinner condemning Christians, killing Christians, persecuting them, but God jumped in and radically changed my life. So I am going to worship him with the words of my mouth and the way in which I use my body to glorify him in the way I serve people and care for people. I honor God by my living. We see this through the ministry of Paul. We see it through the ministry of the apostles. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago that the apostles didn't just call it quits after Jesus gives them the great commission. He doesn't ascend to heaven and then they say, well, he's gone, let's go. No, they say, all right. Now they are left puzzled there for a minute and the angel's like, hey, hello, why are you waiting around? He said to go. He's going to come back just as he just left, but he said to go. And so they go. They live their lives on mission for God despite the cost. Despite the cost, which ultimately was death. They worship the Lord with their obedience. Paul worshiped the Lord by doing all that the Lord had commanded him, even in the most difficult situations. Why, though? Why? Why do they do this? Why is it that they lived a life of worship to God? It's because they had faith in him, which is a reminder to us to number four, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. 
Paul concluded his testimony in verse 25 that we looked at, urging the people to take heart because he had faith that God will do exactly what he's been told. Think about that for a minute. Paul trusted that things would go exactly as they were told because he trusted in the God who said it. The one who bought him for the precious blood that was poured out. The one in whom he belonged to. The one that never abandoned him. He lived that life of worship and he trusted him with his life. Church family, we have the same thing that we could do. We have the same opportunity in living that life of worship. We must trust that God is who he says he is. Now you may be saying, well, pastor, I, I haven't had an angel appear to me and, and tell me something like that, like we see with Paul's example here. And my response to you would be this. <clears throat> you may not have had that exact example happen, but but you have the living word of God that you have at your fingertips, on your phone, in your hand with a hard Bible, whatever it may be. You have the word of God and the living word of God, the Lord uses it to speak to us as we study the word. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Holy Spirit indwells us. And because he indwells us, he guides us. He is the helper that Jesus said we would get. Sure enough, it happened. We have the helper. And that's the question. Are you spending intentional daily time in the word with the Lord and in prayer. And I say this and I say this gently, but I, I want to respond to that question by asking this. If you're not, how do you expect the Lord to speak and you hear it? It's something for all of us to chew on and wrestle with. If we're not walking daily with the Lord by studying his word and leaving the pages of scripture open and saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what you want me to hear. How can we expect God to speak and we hear it? You also have brothers and sisters in Christ who love God, who love you who have the same Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them and they are there for you. They are there for you to listen, to help you, to give you counsel. I look across this room and there are several of you in this room who over the course of the last almost eight years have had this divine moment from God where I was wrestling with something or listening and trying to hear and trying to figure out what God had and you spoke and God used you to speak to me. And you also have the experiences of your life where you have seen God intervene or move and left you speechless and in awe. If you can't think of one right off the top of your head right now, I guarantee you your day of your salvation is one of them. My point is that he hasn't stopped speaking to his people. 
Sometimes his people have just allowed so many other things to come in between and interrupt the communication. We're all guilty of that. I say all of that to say this. Church family, we must trust the Lord. If we do not trust him with our lives, our finances, our relationships, etc., then we aren't living a life of faith in him. Trusting him to guide, trusting him, knowing that he is sovereign, that he is in control. No matter what the situation, he is God. He has promised to never leave me. He is good. And I will glorify him with my life. So I want to end with this question. Do you acknowledge God as your eternal sovereign Lord? Do you? And if you do, we must be living a life of worship, trusting him despite all that comes our way. Will we do this today? Let's pray. Oh God, you are so good to us, Lord. Lord, despite our shortcomings, and sin. You were so gracious to us by going to the cross and dying in our place. Lord, I thank you that we can have your living word at our fingertips. Lord, we are so privileged compared to the rest of the world. And Lord, I pray for myself and all of our people here, Lord, that that we would cling to your word, knowing just how precious a gift it is that we have. And Lord, in knowing that and, and, and seeking you through it, Lord, whenever trials come, Lord, whenever we have hardships, whenever we face things like Paul did, we may not be shipwrecked, but we may have other things come about in our lives that leave us saying, what is going on? Lord, may we, may, may we remember that we are your people because we were bought with Jesus's precious blood. So we belong to you. You never leave us, God. You, you intervene at times where we're just like, wow. And Lord, we worship you with our lives, Lord, I pray. God, that that would be our heartbeat, Lord, that we would want to glorify you. We would want to make much of your name in our daily living so that the world around us can see just how joyful we are and how much we love you. And we can proclaim, this is what you have done for me, God, to a lost and dying world. Oh, Lord, may we trust you. God, we love you. We pray, Lord, over these next few moments that you'd have your way. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.